hi, Dr. Pavi, and welcome uh, to our Impact uh, Medicom podcast. Uh, my name is Anna Christofides. I'm the owner of Impact Medicom, and uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about how you treat CLL during this time of the COVID pandemic. So very nice to be here. I'm Dr. Pavik from the CHU from Sherbrooke in Quebec, and uh, I'm a medical oncologist. Uh, I treat CLL and uh, other types of cancer, and uh, I'm pleased to, to be here today. CLL is a chronic disease that generally affects uh, people in, uh, in the elderly, uh, generally after 65 years of age. And um, it's rare that the, that the disease presents uh, um, in a, with uh, uh, important uh, symptoms and, uh, and, and it's also not very frequent that the disease uh, has to be treated uh, uh, very soon after the diagnosis. And uh, there are some patients who are diagnosed with uh, a uh, very limited stage, and we can observe them for uh, some from for several years. And but uh, we also have patients who have uh, uh, more advanced stages at the diagnosis and need to be treated immediately. What is the uh, what is your usual treatment course? That what treatments do you usually give? Um, the the treatment has changed recently. And uh, we used to give more immunochemotherapy years ago, but uh, with times we know that uh, uh, the treatment changed and uh, we have better options now and we can select patients for whom uh, uh, better choices uh, can be made. Um, uh, so when I have a new patient with a CLL, uh, first of all, I, uh, I look at his age. Um, and also at the uh, cytogenetic uh, risk, especially for the deletion 17P. And if a deletion 17P is present, uh, uh, I, um, I prefer to treat them with a, a BTK inhibitor. And uh, if not, uh, um, we can also look at the uh, uh, IGIV mutation and if patients are hypermutated, uh, we, we, we still have good response with uh, 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 immunochemotherapy, but uh, if they are not mutated, uh, uh, we have much better response with uh, oral beta inhibitor. From the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we, uh, we had to choose who had which patients had to be seen in clinic and which uh, uh, could be uh, um, uh, seen by by call. And, um, and uh, it was very difficult because we were not used to, to act this way. And uh, um, it was it was very hard at the beginning to say we that we had about 90% of, of our patients uh, who were joined by call, and uh, uh, only 10% of the patients who could come at the hospital mm. was a, a, a provincial recommendations uh, uh, to stop the, uh, the, pro uh, the, the propagation of the, the, the virus. Mm. And it worked in our area. And, um, but uh, it was uh, uh, difficult to, to um, evaluate the patient's uh, 
uh, especially for the general status and also the symptoms. And uh, we had no clinical exam. And uh, I had some bad experience with patients who told me that they had no lymph nodes. But uh, when I saw them three months later, they had a very big node. So, oh, wow. That's that's really difficult. Uh, so so yes, it must be very difficult to assess the patient virtually like that. And so you said ninety percent of patients you were needing to assess virtually. Yes, exactly. Uh, and and is that still the case, or has that uh, now opened up? Yeah. No, we we had uh, um, about fifty percent of our patients uh, uh, coming back at our clinics. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. It means once uh, every two times, but uh, uh, now with the second wave, we had to, to cut a little bit uh, again, and we probably see uh, about 30% of our patients uh, 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 in our clinics and 70% uh, virtually. Mm, okay, interesting. So so what, uh, what factors do you find difficult to, to assess virtually like that? The general status. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we we don't see the patients coming and walking in our in our office. We don't we, we are not able to evaluate uh, the ECOG status uh, easily. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we cannot ass- assess the, the spleen, the, the liver, and the nodes. We we, are, we try to avoid the, the uh, to to be three more than three months without, without seeing the patients we try to see them at least once every three months but it's not very much and uh, so um, that's the first point and uh, if we see that the consultations uh, is not perfect through a phone call we can also uh, ask them to come and uh, to have a, an evaluation Mm-hmm. But uh, you know that our clinics are very full and it's difficult to find time. So in my case, I decided to see all the new patients uh, physically in my mm-hmm. office, uh, at least once, to know exactly to whom I was speaking to. So that was very important. And I think that my colleagues did the same. Mm-hmm. And uh, after that, um, the, the consultation could be done virtually. So, uh, and uh, one one point of the decision was also um, which treatment can I give to the patients without too many side effects, and uh, also uh, uh, which treatment can be given orally without having too many uh, uh, hospital consultation, too many, too many visits, and also too many blood tests to do because it was or it is also a difficulty uh, still now uh, to find a place where to go and have the blood test. Mm. It's not easy for them. So we, we try to have the, the best treatment, the, but uh, the treatment that is uh, uh, with less side effects and uh, with the easy easiest uh, management. Mm. So which specifically um, treatments do you use, and in this case, and has has those have those changed with COVID then, based on your uh, those factors? Yes, for the patients with CLL, uh, as I said at the beginning, we have two major treatment available. We have a BTK inhibitor and also immunochemotherapy with FCR. 
and um, we know that uh, BTK inhibitor is a, is a good treatment and uh, that can be, that is given orally and um, uh, um, it's, it's less toxic, um, much less toxic than EFCR. Uh, 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 the, the only problem with BTK inhibitor is that we have to give it for uh, uh, an um, undefined uh, time, and um, that can be a problem. But uh, uh, it's not a problem for the pandemic because we can give it, and then we will see. But uh, uh, with FCR, yes, we can stop the treatment after six uh, uh, cycles. But uh, we know that uh, immunodepression depression is very high and the patient can be exposed to uh, infections. And we also suppose that the risk of uh, COVID in these patients is higher and the evolution of the COVID-19 can be also worse. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so have there been any studies done uh, on these treatments during COVID and the, um, how well they're tolerated in patients? Um, yes, there are some studies for the patients with uh, uh, CLL and uh, um, the risk is higher for the patients and the evolution uh, is not very good. But uh, as we could expect it, um, but uh, uh, it's not always, uh, um, uh, not all the patients with COVID-19 and CLL die from the COVID-19, but uh, uh, obviously the, the evolution is worse with uh, the two diseases. Mm -hmm. So are patients with CLL at a greater risk if they do get COVID-19 than the general yeah. public? Mm -hmm. Yes, they are at greater risk yeah, mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. dying. Okay. Right. Because there are usually people with uh, CLL are more than 65, they can have also some comorbidities, and uh, we add if we add a chemotherapy and uh, uh, an, an antibody, uh, uh, an anti CD twenty antibody, we uh, uh, we lower the immune system, and uh, they are exposed to a major risk of uh, of, of virus. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, and so for for patients with CLL specifically, are there any? guidelines or guidance in terms of uh, how you would mitigate the risk of COVID in those patients? Yes, we have uh, um, the ASH guideline, uh, which have been uh, recently published and uh, um, also reviewed by the Cana by, by Canadian team. And uh, we, have, uh, um, we have some evidences that our uh, recommendation uh, uh, for for the treatment of CLL during the pandemic, and it's very useful. It does not take a long time for a hematologist to go through because it's it's very intuitive, but uh, I think it's important to to, to go. With mm -hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, no, that's that's great, and and I will definitely provide a link to the Canadian paper and the ASH guidelines as well in, in the description of the podcast so that our listeners can go and, and read that information. What were the top line takeaways from the Canadian paper on, on, on what would be recommended? Uh, I think during the, the, the pandemic, we have to avoid the immunochemotherapy. Mm -hmm. 
and try to have access to the, an oral treatment because it's better tolerated. And uh, um, we have to limit our visit to the hospital. And with a BTK inhibitor, we can have access, we can uh, achieve that point. And um, the, the surveillance of the treatment is not too difficult because the side effects are well known and uh, well managed and are present, especially at the beginning of the, uh, of the treatment during the first three months. Um, so uh, in, I, in my opinion, during this crisis, we have to, uh, we, we, we should prefer oral treatment. The other point is also the um, uh, immunoglobulin prophylaxis. Uh, so some patients uh, need to receive immunoglobulin intravenously or subcutaneously. And because uh, uh, the immune system is low for those patients, and uh, I think it's very important to continue the treatment. Uh, mm -hmm. The recommendation says that we, maybe we could uh, uh, um, uh, uh, enlarge the, the time between two infusions, but mm -hmm. I'm not so sure that it's a good thing to do because we know that the half time of the immunoglobulins that we infuse is only three weeks. And most of the patients uh, develop infections after three weeks. So even if the recommendation says that we can enlarge the, the, the time from four to five or six weeks, I, I'm not sure it's uh, something that is very uh, good to do with the patients. The other point is that uh, they recommend to give the treatment uh, 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 subcutaneously instead of intravenously. It's something that is good, but we need also to, to explain to the patients how to do it. We have to learn to the patient uh, uh, how to do it. And it takes time, and this time is generally given at the hospital. So we have to, to compose with that and um, see what is the best thing for the patient uh, uh, um, in terms of uh, time spent at the hospital. And, uh, and uh, and gain for the treatment given subcutaneously. Uh, so we have to take to, we have to 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 choose um, case by by case. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and just uh, going to the beginning of treatment, do you tend to delay treatment uh, initiation? That's a very good point. So. Uh, we know that the, the CLL is, a, is generally a very chronic disease. We have some patients who need to be treated because the course is, is fast, mm -hmm. but uh, it, it's not something very uh, frequent. If the patients have, have symptoms, severe symptoms, and, uh, uh, and uh, um, um, sometimes a life-threatening life, uh, con condition, obviously we treat them uh, uh, very soon. But most of the patients don't have such a condition and, and can wait uh, a, a couple of months before being treated. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that we have to to take uh, the, the, the to take to, to make the balance between advantages and convenience, um, and and see what is the best for the patient. Can we wait a little bit? Okay, the patient has symptoms like fatigue. But is it necessary to treat the, the disease right now? Or can we wait a couple of months, maybe four to six months, 
after the wave of uh, COVID-19 and, uh, and, and start the treatment at that time and to be able to, to monitor the treatment in a better way. Okay, great. And what about patients who are COVID positive? So I know you said, thankfully, you haven't had any with CLL who have been, but if you were to encounter one that was also COVID positive, how would you manage that? We know today that uh, uh, um, uh, dexamethasone is part of the treatment for the virus for the patients with uh, uh, with um, 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 who have a lot of symptoms from from the COVID nineteen. Uh, so probably I would give them th this treatment, but we know that uh, it can also lower the immune system. So. We have to be careful with that. Uh, the, the patients should be hospitalized most of the times, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and the, the, the question I, will, I would use my colleagues also yeah, in infectious disease and also for the intensive care unit, if necessary, mm -hmm. for sure. But um, the, the question is about, should I continue the treatment with, uh, uh, for, with, with a BTK inhibitor or, or chemotherapy if, if uh, done. So um, there's no uh, uh, certainty for that, but uh, I think that for the BTK inhibitor, it's not necessary to stop it. I think we can continue it. And, but for the chemotherapy, we for sure we have to stop it. Uh, and wait the recovery and um, that's it mm. hmm. okay that's great dr public thank you so much um any final thoughts that you want to provide on this you know uncertain time and and how we manage patients effectively uh, until the wave passes so no i think i think we have we we talked about uh, the fact that we can delay the treatment for most of the patients, so we have to remember that and uh, to give the less toxic treatments that we can, if mm -hmm. necessary. Yeah, so some uh, very interesting points, and uh, you know, thank you so much, Dr. Pavic, for for joining us and for providing these insights. You're welcome. Thank you.